Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Okay, so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to gather, to, to serve you, to sing praises to your name, Father. And we, uh, Lord, pray to you because you are the ultimate physician, and we know that. Father, uh, forgive us when we think there are other answers besides you. <laughs> forgive us, Lord, when we put things ahead of you. Lord, forgive us when prayer becomes our last resort instead of our first resort. And so, Father, we're, we're coming right now on behalf, of, especially, Lord, of Maylee and what she's going through with her family. Lord, I pray you would reach down right now and touch her precious little body. Lord, whatever infection or, or sickness is going on right now, I pray you would heal her. Lord, we pray for the doctors and the nurses and all the things they're going to do and all the decisions they're going to make for wisdom there, Father. But we know that you are in control, and so we commit her to you. I pray for her family right now, for comfort and for peace during this time, Father. I pray you would strengthen them. And, and even now, Lord, that a peace that passes all understanding would wash over them, would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for Brad as well, for his recovery. He'd go quickly. Lord, I pray he'd be able to get home and get back to work as soon as possible. For Kelly, of course, we've been praying for Kelly for many months now. Father, we continue to pray for him. For so many others, so much sickness, Lord, and, and struggle in the world. Father, I pray you would just do great work, Father. May these situations and these families today just sense your power and your presence. Father, may you be glorified in these moments. And Father, I pray for our time together now as we open up the truth of your word. It is foundational. It is absolute truth. Father, I pray you'd speak to us very clearly. I pray we'd be convicted and challenged, Father, and transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible with you this morning, there's one in the seat in front of where you're sitting. It's a black hardbound book. You can take that out. Open up to page 886, 886 John chapter 1. As you're finding John 1, I want to begin with a very simple but I think very profound question. It's this, who is Jesus Christ? It's a question that's been asked for centuries and the way you answer that question will determine not only the way you live your life now but will determine your eternity. Was he just a good man? Was he just a good teacher? Was he a revolutionary leader? Caiaphas, when questioning Jesus with the chief priest and the elders of the law, asked Jesus if he was the Christ, the Son of God. A few hours later, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus himself questioned Peter. Peter, who do men say that I am? When Peter said, some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets, Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? 
the Roman government officials of the first century, in their own words, in their own writings, called Jesus a ridiculous nuisance, an absurd and extravagant superstition. To the church fathers of the third and fourth centuries, Jesus was one substance with the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. To the reformers of the 16th and 17th centuries, Jesus was a cause worth dying for. To the atheists of today, he's just a figment of our imaginations. From the earliest documents of the first century until now, the question remains, who is Jesus Christ? If he was just a man, as some say, then our quest to seek him and know him is meaningless, wasted moments of time seeking a hoax. If he was just a man, then we are fools. But what if he was something more? What if he was more than a man? What if he was more than just a teacher? What if, in fact, he was God? It really boggles our mind to to think of God stepping down out of heaven to this earth. What would he look like? What would he say? How would he act? How would he respond? If God truly came to earth as a man, it would be the greatest story ever told. We think about the birth of Christ all those centuries ago, and, and it wasn't just another birth of another little precious baby. It was the central point of all history. It was the birth of hope. It was the birth of peace. It was the birth of joy. It was the birth of hope in the midst of broken marriages. It was the birth of hope in the midst of great addictions. It was the birth of hope in the midst of devastating financial problems, in the midst of depression, in the midst of pain and suffering. It was the birth of hope very simply in life. The birth of this precious little baby An unthinkable thing in our world brought hope and joy and peace. And so this time of year we celebrate that birth and and we think about that birth. And and over the last couple of weeks we've been working through John chapter 1. And we come to this point this morning that I believe is is the pinnacle. Some have called John chapter 1 the prologue, the first 14, the first 18 verses of John, the Mount Everest of the Gospels. It's the highest point. It speaks of the glory of the Lord. It speaks of the power of his word. It speaks of Christ and what he's accomplished for us and what he's done for us. But if if the first 14 verses are the pinnacle, then the greatest of those verses is verse 14. And so I want to read for you this morning, John 1, beginning in verse 1 through verse 14. And then we're going to spend some time just thinking through the 14th verse. We have it on the screen. You can read it along if you'd like. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the men, nor of the, but of the will of God. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a stunning thing. It's an impossible thing in our minds for the God of heaven to step down from his beautiful place, from the beautiful creation, from the beautiful uh, glory of heaven, and step into the, to the sin and, and the destruction of this earth. And so as we answer the question this morning, who is Jesus Christ? I want to do it based solely on this scripture. I want to do it based on John chapter 1 verse 14. And so there's some truth I want you to see this morning. There's some truth about Christ that I want you to see and hopefully process and understand and then maybe figure out how you can apply to your life. As we answer the question, who is Jesus? The first truth I want you to see this morning, number one. We have it on the screen. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, I don't want there to be confusion here. I don't want there to be any misunderstanding about who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't 50% human and 50% deity. Jesus wasn't 80% man and 20% God. Jesus wasn't God who pretended to be a man. Jesus wasn't God who came down and tricked people into thinking he was a man. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He was fully deity, 100% deity and 100% human. Now that's hard for us to imagine sometimes. It's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to kind of process through. And so I want to think through that just for a few minutes to get to, together today because it matters that we understand who Jesus was because it'll show us why he came and what he accomplished. Now the, the Gospels, especially in the New Testament, are filled with this idea that Jesus was fully God. In fact, there, there are multiple scriptures that point to the deity of Christ. John chapter 1 is one of those examples. You may remember a couple of weeks ago when we read John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. And of course, we know that the Word is Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas, after seeing the, the nail prints and the scars in the hands of Christ, refers to Jesus as my Lord and my God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son Jesus. He is the true God and He is eternal life. Now, the Bible's clear that Jesus is fully God, but I want to think for a little while this morning, a little bit longer, about the idea of the humanity of Christ. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And so we see portions of Scripture that talk about Jesus being human. We see portions of Scripture like John chapter 1, verse 14 that make it clear, and the Word became flesh. It doesn't say that He just looked like a man or pretended to be like a man or acted like a man. The Bible says He became flesh. A.W. Pink, a noted theologian, said it like this, His deity, though veiled, was never laid aside. His humanity, though sinless, was a real humanity. Jesus was fully God, yet he was 
fully man. And so we can read about Jesus and we can read that his muscles ached. We can read that Jesus was tired. We, we can read that Jesus was thirsty. We can read that Jesus bled. But I want you to understand why it was important for Jesus to come. Right? I, don't, I don't want this just to be kind of a, a, a theological discussion. I want you to understand the significance of what he did and what he accomplished. So why did Jesus come? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be fully God while at the same time being fully man? I've got some things on the screen I want you to see this morning. The first thing I want you to see, very simply, is that Jesus is our mediator. Right? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be fully God and fully man? Because we had sinned against the holy God. Right? We had separated ourselves from a holy God, and there was nothing we could do. There's no good deeds. We can't say enough nice things. We can't show up at church enough. There's nothing we can do to fix what we've created. There's no way we can bridge that gap. And so we need somebody to stand in our place. We need somebody to mediate between a holy God and a sinful humanity. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Wayne Grudem, who's a noted theologian and has written a systematic theology that's used in uh, the vast majority of seminaries around the world. Wayne Grudem said it like this. He said, we needed a mediator who could represent us to God and could represent God to us. There's only one person who's ever fulfilled that requirement. It's Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Jesus came as our substitute sacrifice. Jesus came as our substitute sacrifice. If Jesus had not been a man, then he could not have died in our place, right? You probably remember the stories of the Old Testament. The stories of the Old Testament are filled with the idea of sacrifice. The children of Israel would, would sacrifice lambs or goats or bulls on the altar to atone for their sin. That's what they did time and time again. That's what the Scripture teaches. And so we kind of learn this truth in the Old Testament that in order to atone for our sins, there has to be a sacrifice. Well, when Jesus came, he came as the perfect lamb, the sinless lamb, the perfect sacrifice. And so when God required punishment for our sins, when God required a sacrifice to atone for our sins, instead of us having to do it, instead of us receiving the wrath of God, Jesus was our sacrifice. He was a substitute for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, speaking of Christ, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Verse 18, For he became, he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Right? Jesus stands in our place. Jesus came fully God, fully man, as a substitute for our sacrifice. Thirdly, Jesus demonstrated obedience to the Father for us. Jesus showed us that it could be done. If you study the Old Testament and you read the stories of Abraham and Moses and, and Adam and, and then eventually to Paul and to Peter and the stories of the New Testament, you begin to realize that nobody ever fully obeyed God the Father. Until Christ. Probably the greatest example of the obedience of Jesus is when he walks into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's 
praying just a few moments before, he, before he's arrested and eventually crucified. And you may remember he calls out to God the Father, God, take this cup from me. Like, I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to be uh, killed like this and suffer like this. Yet not my will, but what? Your will be done. I'm willing, Father, to obey you in all things. I'm willing to demonstrate my love for you. I'm willing to stand in place for these people and sacrifice and obey you, even if it means my life. So Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. And that matters because it leads us to this place of salvation. I look at verse 14 again, John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is Jesus Christ? He's fully God and he's fully man. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Jesus lived among us. Jesus lived among us. Now the original Greek, and, and, and if you have, I think, the King James Version, it may say this as well. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and did tabernacle among us. Now, tabernacle is an interesting word, and, and, and probably apart from this scripture and maybe a discussion at church, you probably never use the word tabernacle. It's a word we don't think about it a lot anymore. It's kind of a, a glorified word for tent. And if you remember the story of the Old Testament, you remember the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel had been led into captivity in Egypt. Moses goes to the Pharaoh, the ten plagues. Eventually, Pharaoh lets the people go. They go out into the wilderness. And in order to worship the Lord, they build a tabernacle. It's a tent. It's the precursor to the temple in Jerusalem. And they built the tent so they could take it up, move it, put it back down, and worship God. And what we see in the Old Testament that's very interesting is that the glory of the Lord, the, the fire or the smoke that would lead them around in the, in the wilderness, the glory of the Lord would descend upon the tent, and the people knew at that moment that the presence of the Lord was there. And so we read verses like Exodus 33, 7. Now Moses used to make a tent, right? There's that word, a tabernacle. And set it up outside camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meetings. And anyone inquiring, inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, now listen, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And so you see time and time in the Old Testament, you see the, the pillar of fire or the pillar of smoke would descend upon the people, would descend on the tabernacle, would descend over Mount Sinai, would descend across this wilderness and this desert that the people were wandering through. And in those moments, the people knew the presence of the Lord was there. Now here's why this matters. Here's how this ties into John 1.14. The Spirit of the Lord and the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord in the Old Testament would come and go. There were times when he was present. There were times when he was not. There were times when they could see the glory of the Lord clearly and there were times when they could not. John 1.14 tells us that the Word became flesh and tabernacled 
or dwelt or lived among us, right? The glory of the Lord no longer comes and goes. We don't have to wonder anymore if we're going to see it or not see it. We don't have to wonder anymore if it's actually present. Jesus has come and lived among us. You understand the significance of that? The glory of the Lord is present in Christ. The glory of the Lord lives in Him. Now here's why this matters. Because we don't serve a God that is a distant God that sits on a throne 10 million miles away and looks upon His creation and doesn't have any sort of a personal contact with Him. That's not the God we serve. We, we don't serve a God who's the puppet master who controls from a distance. We don't serve a God who's uninvolved in the lives of the people that He created. We serve a God who literally came to this earth and lived among us. One writer explained it like this. He said, if you come into a community and build a huge mansion with a wall around it, you're probably saying you don't really want to be bothered by the people. But if you set up a tent in my backyard... You'll probably use my bathroom, eat at my table, play with my children. This is why God has become human. He came to live in our backyard so he would have a lot of dealings with us. Right? Instead of staying in the, in the beauty and the glory of heaven, Christ chose to step down out of heaven, take on the form of a man, and live among the sin and the disease and the sickness of the earth. I can remember when my kids were little, and some of you will probably be experiencing this even now. I can remember when my kids were really little, and in the middle of the night, a thunderstorm would blow through. And if you're like our family or like our children, in the middle of the night, a thunderstorm blows through, and the, the lightning flashes, and the thunder kind of cracks, it wakes people up. And when our children were small, they were afraid of that. And I can remember very vividly having these moments where a, a thunderstorm would roll through and it would kind of shake the house. And sometimes there are those uh, kind of claps of thunder that sound like they're 10 miles away. And sometimes they feel like they're right over your house and the windows shake. You remember those? And I can remember there were times when I would just kind of call out to my children. They would wake up and you could hear them kind of crying out or they were afraid. And you kind of call out to them, listen, it's okay going to be fine. It's just a little bit of thunder. It's just a little bit of lightning. It'll pass soon. Just go back to sleep. And sometimes those moments are enough. Sometimes it's enough for you just to call out to them from a distance. But then there are moments, and I remember very vividly when Gracie was young. She was probably three or four. And I remember very vividly that moment. We had one of those nights where the thunder was just really loud and the lightning was bright. And she woke up in the middle of the night and cried out. And I did what I've done probably a dozen times before. Called out to her, it's okay, honey, go back to sleep. It's okay, you're going to be fine. But that wasn't good enough. She needed me to be with her. And so I can remember vividly going in there and picking her up and taking her and delivering them. And we laid on the couch together. And it's amazing when mom or dad are laying with the little children, the thunder's not nearly as loud. And the lightning's not nearly as bright. There's sometimes when we can just call out and things are okay, and then there are moments where we have to just be present. It's like that with the Lord. Now, sometimes God can just speak from heaven. Sometimes we can just read his word, and it's enough. But oftentimes we need to know in our hearts that he's not calling from a distant throne. He's walking in our midst. Do you understand that? That he's living among us. 
that he's loving us, that he's taking care of us, that he's showing us how much he cares for us. And this matters to us because when Christ came to this earth, he came with purpose. He didn't come just to walk around and observe and just to kind of see what was going on. He came to live among us and to love us and to die on the cross for our sins. And so as we kind of walk through life, and I know people come to, to a service like this and, and a church our size, people come with all sorts of baggage. And some of the baggage I know about and most of it I don't. But I want you to understand the significance of the incarnation of Christ as he comes to this earth. He came to this earth to live among us, to walk among us, to love us, to, to shoulder our burdens, to walk with us through the most difficult moments. And so there is absolute hope in Jesus. There's absolute hope no matter what you're going through, no matter how you're struggling the incarnation reminds us of his love and all he gave. But I want you to notice there's one other thing here in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Fully God, fully man, to, to be our mediator, to, to serve as a sacrifice for us. He came and he lived among us. He didn't just look from a distance. He lived among us and walked among us and loved us. And verse 14, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. Jesus lived among us. And then finally, Jesus demonstrated the glory of God through his life. If you want to understand the glory of God, if you want to see the glory of God, if you want to study the glory of God, you don't have to go any farther than Jesus Christ. Now, I love thinking about the power and the glory of the Lord, and, and I love the Old Testament. I love the history of the Old Testament. I love how it ties together with the New Testament. I love how there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. I love how Jesus is spoken of in the Old Testament in, in veiled references that even the writers of Scripture, when they wrote them, didn't fully understand who Jesus was. I love how the Old Testament looks ahead to the New Testament. And one of the things we see in the Old Testament is the power and the glory of the Lord. Like if you want to read about the power and the glory of the Lord, you start in Genesis 1, like the creation. God didn't have to wring his hands for months or years at a time. God didn't have to worry about what was going to happen in the universe God didn't try to create things and fail and try again and fail and try again. He didn't have to wonder if it was going to work out the way he wanted to when Jesus created. He didn't have to struggle through the idea of creation. When God wanted the universe to be created, he spoke it into existence. It's like that. Let there be light, and there was light. That's the glory of the Lord. That's the power of the Lord. I think about how the Lord worked in the story of Exodus that I mentioned a few minutes ago and, and working through Moses and the plagues and how the glory of the Lord was demonstrated as the people of Israel wandered through the wilderness for 40 years and, and the, the fire and the, the cloud and the smoke descended upon Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments were given and the glory of the Lord was known. I think about how the glory of the Lord was demonstrated in, in 1 Kings 18 with Elijah on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal. You should go back and read that account. Prophets of Baal had called to their God with no answer, and Elijah said, listen, not only am I going to burn up this altar, why don't you take all these jugs of water, pour them over the altar so that even the trench around the altar is filled with water. He calls upon the Lord, and fire came from heaven, and the Bible says it just licked up and devoured everything, including the water, the power of God. 
but all the demonstrations of the power of Christ and all the demonstrations of the glory of the Lord and all the demonstrations of all he did through the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that the greatest display of the Lord is found in what Jesus accomplished through us. Did you know that? The glory of the Lord that shows through Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection is greater than the glory of the Lord in creation. It's more powerful than what he did with Moses, more powerful than what he did with Elijah. John eleven four 4 says, When he heard this, Jesus says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. There's a picture of the power and the glory of the Lord working through Christ. Now, here's our problem, right? We struggle with this. This is the human condition. We want the glory for ourselves, don't we? We want to be glorified. We want to think we're good enough or smart enough or successful enough or we got all the great ideas. And when we try to take the glory for ourselves, we steal it from Christ. And so one of the things we do this time of year is we think about Jesus and we think about his birth and we think about his majesty and we try to remember his glory. And we try to remember that he demonstrated the glory of the Lord in the way he lived his life. In the way he was born in the way he lived, in the way that he died, in the way that he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And so I I just want to encourage you this time of year. We think about time off from work. We think about family and friends and and all the, the, the good, fun, enjoyable things of Christmas. All those things are good. But I pray that in your heart, you'll remember the incredible, wonderful, unthinkable gift that was given to all of us all those centuries ago as Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of a man to live among us, to dwell among us, to display the glory of the Lord among us, to take our place on the cross. So who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And I pray that if you have not experienced his glory and his magnificence and his beauty this Christmas season, that you would just pause, remember all he's done, remember all that he's given. And I pray that he would invade your hearts and your lives in ways that he never has before. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your glory displayed through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he was fully God and fully man, that he came and and lived among us, that you don't operate from a throne that's a million miles away, Father, but you are in our midst. And we thank you that, Lord, when Christ came, he displayed your glory. He displayed your power. He stood in our place, Father. He gave our lives. He gave his life, Father, for our lives on the cross. I pray we'd remember that, Father. I pray this Christmas season that we'd remember the gift and the glory and the beauty of Christ. Father, thank you for all you've done. May you receive the honor. May you receive the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to open up the altar for you. You can stand. This is a time for you to sing. It's a time for you to respond. We've got people down here that are willing to pray with you if you'd like to pray. This is your time as we sing together this morning. You come.